today, joining me today is Derek Bros to talk about some really important work that I think is some of the most important topics happening today that aren't really being focused on, such as the fluoride trial, discussing geoengineering being halted in Mexico, or even just one of the most central conversations that I think are, I mean, it's, it's central in almost everything, including COVID-19, including the Great Reset. I mean, everywhere you look these days, your digital identification seems to be one of the most focused on conversations. And Derek just had an outstanding article about something called the Better Identity Coalition and what that's connected to. Thank you for joining me, Derek. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, brother. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I was going to start today with ultimately your fluoride trial coverage, because I know that that is developing. I know that you have, uh, I guess, an ongoing potential uh, series or at least uh, an episode with Del Bigtree, right? That you're going to be discussing this, getting it more reach. So why don't we start off with where that is at now, uh, what you've discussed up until then, and maybe just what you're going to be doing with that uh, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, People might remember our previous interview, which I think was in early January. It was right before the fluoride hearing was about, we were about to have another hearing on uh, January 12th. Mm -hmm. So at that, uh, at that previous interview, we discussed how uh, the fluoride action network had filed some open records requests and got copies of emails between the CDC and the NIH showing specifically that assistant secretary of health, Rachel Levine, Levine Mm -hmm. uh, right there, uh, specifically was the person who intervened and who squashed the release of this May 2022 National Toxicology Program, which is part of the U.S. government report, what's called a monograph, which is a review of all the existing studies specifically on fluoride's toxicity. And this was supposed to be coming out, we now know, in May 2022. It never came out. There was never any explanation. But through those emails that we discussed last time, we now see what happened. We see that uh, Assistant Secretary of Health, as well as the Office of Director of the, at the NIH, NIH uh, who I also mentioned in that last interview, both of them were mentioned in these private emails as having, you know, stopped the report and basically said it's not going to go any further. So that was already kind of a big revelation that definitely deserves more attention. And we talked about that right before the trial um, resumed or the hear- the next hearing mm-hmm. resumed. And that's where my final article picked up my most recent one, which we called Following Revelation of Interference by AHS Rachel Levine, Federal Judge Pushes Next Hearing in Fluoride Lawsuit to April. So the title kind of gives away that, yes, it was delayed once more till April. But there are some important details. The reason I wanted to talk about this, because I know that sometimes, especially when it comes to court cases, there are there's like little nuggets of information that in my mind or maybe those who are fully aware of the consequences you, you just kind of step back and like, wow, that's that's like a you know explosive piece of information. Again, in a mm-hmm. different world, different media environment, that would be front page news of, oh, my God, clear yeah. interference from government health officials in a six, you know, a, a study on this 70 year old practice of water fluoridation. Why is that? You know, what mm-hmm. could it mean? And asking all those kind of questions. But unfortunately, that's not really where we're at. And I do know, again, with court cases, it can kind of be easy to get lost, like in the details. So I'm going to do my best to avoid doing that, but there are some important things that came out that we found out um, since that previous uh, interview. I, I, I can just go ahead question. and dive in if you want. Well, you know, quick question about Levine in, in, in particular. So is there any more insight that you've seen about like, to your point, I think it's absolutely a gigantic red flag. It should be a huge story that this even happened, let alone that, that somebody in, in a contentious position that shouldn't even really matter, but it does in the context of politics is stepping into this health conversation and just stopping it. 
no justification, no logic after what you said was the sixth report. I remember remembering correctly. Yeah. Any update on that about why or like is any is there any other outside of independent media even asking that question about you know the, the, as they should? Nobody is talking about this. I mean, honestly, thanks to shout out to CHD Children's Health Defense, they're the only people. I'm activist post a few others that kind of aggregated our article. Um, mm-hmm. This, you know, my my most recent article about that. Not this one we're going over here, here but the previous one. Um, but I haven't heard a single mention it anywhere in mainstream media. And whether we're talking big like CNN, obviously something like that, or even smaller local independent or mainstream media, I haven't seen any picked up really anywhere. But there are some updates uh, that we found on this hearing relating to that revelation of officials intervening. And it's kind of an interesting saga here. So I'm going to do my best to explain Mm -hmm. what happened. So, again, the judge was presented with all this information. Once the Floyd Action Network and their attorneys, specifically Michael Conant, he submitted these open records requests to the judge. So that's what it was. I was kind of last time we talked sort of anticipating, oh, how's the judge going to respond now that he's seen the emails? And honestly, the judge didn't express much interest in what should be, again, huge revelations. Maybe it's him being a judge, and this is what you want from a judge, somebody who's neutral, who's not like, oh, my God, this is explosive, and just you know, rules really quickly or something like that. Maybe that's the reason he's in this position, but it's interesting. So two things happen. First, uh, uh, Michael Conant tried to bring up the, the emails at one point, he was describing what he calls this unusual process that you were just mentioning a couple of moments ago. The fact that this monograph from the NTP has re- received multiple reviews, uh, five or six reviews and outside experts. And this is more than any other review in the NTP's history. Most of them just go through one single review with a couple of scientists and maybe sometimes some outside experts. But this case, they've had five reviews and outside experts and, you know, just delays and delays and delays. So when Michael Conant, uh, the attorney for the Floyd Action Network, started to explore the emails, he started to mention the idea of the emails, which, again, show that scientists um, the, at the NTP said they were ready to release this. That's the one thing, too, that everybody needs to understand. The NTP uh-huh. themselves, this institution that was tasked with the government of studying all of the literature on fluoride's toxicity, in their own words, said this is set to be released May 2022. We're ready to go. It was only the interference from people above them that stopped it from coming out. So as soon as Michael Conant started to get into this, the judge interrupted actually and said, uh, as I wrote here, he says, yeah, I know I'm familiar with the briefs you submitted and the narrative that you believe, but the NTP study is not finalized, even if you feel we have enough evidence. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Just his, like, it was really kind of a brash interruption. It was just like, okay, I get it. Like, I know what you think. Basically he didn't want Conant. It felt like he didn't want Conant to go deep into that line of, you know, that kind of narrative and exploring that and just cut him off. But A couple minutes later, Michael Conant did come back, and this is where it gets kind of interesting. Um, He says, quote, clearly we have seen that higher authorities within the HHS have the ability to influence the scientist's decision on this report. Because what the EPA submitted to the court after the emails were made public, they submitted a declaration from a man named Dr. Uh, Richard Wojcik, who is the Mm -hmm. director, one of the directors of the National Institutes of Environmental Health and Sciences, one of the directors of National Institutes of Health, and one of the directors of the National Toxicology Program itself. So he submitted his own declaration saying that it was him, that he's the one who actually prevented the release of this, Um, that it wasn't anybody, you know, Rachel Levine or anybody that was mentioned in the emails. It was him. He took full responsibility, said that he blocked it and that he's calling for additional reviews. So that's one thing is... 
he could be lying. And as Michael Connett mentioned a few minutes later, that they, he said they put him in the unenviable position of having to either point to his superiors or take the responsibility. I think somebody was like, hey, you need to yeah. take a fall for this. That's always what happens. But I mean, so so what are we supposed to pretend that the, the email exchange that was private was a lie? Like, what, what is that? that is, there's no that's a ridiculous argument first. Certainly possible. But I still think it's most interesting that we're talking about a person, whoever it may be. After the and again the important part the 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 important part that the end uh, the the group NTP yeah. is that correct okay the NTP was charged with this investigation after you know one should be expected they get through multiple reports they sixth time they they're saying this is ready so that's the com- that the group that was tasked with this saying this is complete it's ready to go there's no more to be added and the government just steps in and goes then we're not even going to put it out then. Like, I, there's no other way to take this story that they're just yeah. don't want people to see what was found. Now, you could try to argue there's another reason behind that. But in and of itself, that's dishonest, whatever the reasoning. And so that's why I think sure. it's very telling that the judge would just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I get it. You don't you don't trust them. But there's evidence showing that they talked about it. So there's that's, clear evidence. Yeah, that's I don't that makes me immediately have some doubt about the, the the judge himself personally it it definitely did make me feel not so good about him as after he's been fairly good and like i said neutral about mm-hmm. this but you know one way like you were making the point i think this is an important point uh while we're i, I do think there's some element of we should know who made this decision right and that person yeah. should be called out and they should be fired or you know, and, some and consequences justify it for crying out loud get why did you choose deposit i mean that we exactly. have a right to know that Exactly. But even if we like put that side, that conversation aside, the point is, like you were saying, whether it's Wojciech or it was Levine or it was this person, it was blocked after having already an unusual process, after having multiple reviews and uh, the the scientists at the NTPs themselves saying, no, we're ready for review. So that I think is where like that's already controversial. Right. And then as mm-hmm. far as trying to figure out, well, who made the decision again, Dr. Wojciech, Richard Wojciech is claiming it was him. But the other interesting aspect that I pointed out in this uh, article is that he said that him and the EPA are both saying that there needs to be more reviews and then a recommendation from some other bureaucracy called the Board of Scientific Counselors, which was really interesting because I've never heard of this. I looked it up. There's no record of this existing anywhere. And in fact, there's a couple of statements that um, Michael Conant, attorney with the Florida Action Network, made in his his uh, declarations and his statements in the hearing that made it seem like there's some skepticism over whether or not this organization exists or was maybe just made up because there's no like, you know, there's no clear uh, record of them. And Michael Connett in his submission to the court, he said, as the EPA notes, Dr. Wojciech will quote, make a final decision whether to publish the state of the science monograph after receiving the recommendation of the so-called board of scientific counselors. And he said that this is even overly optimistic because it assumes that he has the power to release it when we've clearly seen that it's already been blocked before. Right. Well, here's the interesting thing to think about. Let's just say this group does it, they produce a report, and that report just so happens, like this is what I expect, to completely, there's nothing, no problem here. Everything's fine. No problems, no danger. Everything's good. And then ignore six reports that say the opposite and go with the one that says that it's that it's okay because that's what's happening like these previous yeah. reports are finding problems so i just think that that's if that happens i mean what are we supposed to think like so you know so, how, i mean i think this is i think there's a point about this is like we've seen this with things like 9-11 discussions this is meant to drag this out to such a long extent to where people get one tie they get fatigued with the whole thing they don't want to hear anymore about the fluoride yeah. trial and that it just drifts into the background and to where they can put some kind of arbitrary block or hold on this. And I, that's what I think is going to happen personally. Because if they do or put out a report and then go with that report, that's the argument. 
then people are going to be like, well, that's ridiculous. This, then you're going to produce six more reports that show that it's, you know, I don't know. I just, that this is frustrating. It's obvious. Yeah, I think that, I think we're at a point now where anybody who's objectively paying attention to this, even if you have no background in uh, re- research on fluoride's toxicity and the history of water fluoridation or anything like that, important. which is an important history. But even if you have none of that information, just based on the facts that we're seeing, like from this trial alone, you would assume or believe that some objective, critically thinking person would say, okay, there's something going on here. Why is right. there five other previous reports that we're not allowed to see? And like you said, they're going to just keep working till they find the one report that gives the, you know, the answer they want and then just mm-hmm. throw the others away. And that'll be the history. Oh, one time there was a lawsuit. It went to court. And yeah, we found in court, it was, they found it to be safe. This study right here, that, and pay no attention to the history of it because it'll be forgotten right. um, more than likely. But a lot of yeah, analogies so, right there, just about like scientific studies today that find very clear, damning things and then just write the conclusion different than what they found, which is what we keep seeing in a lot of this stuff. So, same kind of game. You know, they just, yeah, they just the average person dismisses it because they point to the end they want you to see, you know? And I, it's unfortunate to me, and I think for many, many people, because as I got a quote here from um, our friends at Floyd Action Network, Jay Sanders, he's a friend and an ally. He was their education director. And in the quote he sent us, he said that because the, the the EPA is doing exactly what you're talking about. They're trying to argue for this being kicked off forever, right? They were telling the judge, our, the, the EPA's attorneys, the U.S. government's attorneys were telling the judge, this should be delayed until at least the summer, maybe even again till next year, because we shouldn't do anything until we get the final, 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 final conclusion, even though we have these other conclusions and all this other stuff. Pay no mind to that. And the judge was skeptical. I will say he wasn't immediately like, yeah, let's just delay it. But he also wasn't, I guess, interested in hearing you know, the narrative from Michael Conant about the emails. So he kind of was like cut him off. But then he also was talking you know, back a little bit to the government and saying, we're not going to just keep delaying this. So mm-hmm. the end result was that it was delayed till April. And what the judge said was that by April, if not before, he's going to decide uh, whether or not to let the, um, the NTP monograph become public, because that's the one, that's the whole thing as well is the NTP final conclusion, which is only two pages. We have the redacted version of it. It's been submitted to the courts, but so far the only people who've seen that would be the people at the NTP, the judge, the EPA's attorneys and in the Florida Action Network attorneys and, you know, presumably some of their team. But beyond that, it hasn't been made public anywhere. So I think that's a problem as well. The people should see what does this draft report say? So the judge will be making a ruling on that, if not before, but at least by April. And then the idea is that in this new April hearing, he's going to decide that, you know, there's going to be some legally stuff happening between then where they're just going to argue various things that are, uh, just a little bit in the weeds, but the, the point is that by April, we should know if he's going to set a new trial date for the summer or if it's going to be kicked off, you know, till next year. But either way, the goal now at this point, the best case scenario is that the Floyd Action Network and their attorneys can get the judge to start, basically they have to start over. That's the best case scenario. Just like in 2020, there'll be new hearings. They're going to get to bring new experts and, uh, you know, presumably this NTP study, as well as anything else that the government and the attorneys can present, and then the judge will finally make a ruling. So, I mean, we're looking oh at God. least another year in this whole thing. What a bro- what a literally intentionally designed broken system. I mean, it just it's just obscene how they if the people that know the system can abuse this and make this happen forever. But what what's interesting? Why is it that this report is ever? Why is it even in up in it, uh, being debated whether it's going to be released? Isn't this, it's a public report using pay taxpayer money. So the fact that it's even being discussed about whether or not it'll be released is kind of shocking to me. Do you know any more about that, about why it's, 
It's, I mean, I think it's just the judge is being very protective of it because That's he understands. Crazy. And I think that is like, look, for whatever good that, that Judge Chen is doing, trying to be objective and neutral, which I guess is his job as a judge, it's it's made it clear to me that if it, if it wasn't already clear that there is an immense amount of money and power behind um, keeping anything bad about fluoride out of the news and out of the media. And yeah. we talked about this, I think, in the, the last uh, interview that if and when the judge rules in favor of the Floyd action network and says, yes, we can conclusively prove Floyd is toxic and it must be, you know, regulated or ideally just totally banned from yeah. the water, you know, further lawsuits are going to come after that. But also, as I said last time, we, we should and could expect that there would be class action lawsuits. I mean, I would imagine there'd yes. be a lot of lawyers ready to file lawsuits against the American Dental Association, against the uh, uh, FDA, against the, uh, the NIH and every other organization that has issued recommendations and in, in this case fought to prevent information from coming out, people mm -hmm. could start to say, hey, like maybe my child's low IQ is responsible for that or their um, uh, hyperthyroidism, which is also another consequence of exposure to fluoride or maybe their their brittle bones, you know, just there's all kinds of things that have been linked to fluoride toxicity. Yeah. So it really does open the door for that. And I started to read this quote, mention this quote, but I wanted to make sure to say this, you know, after the judge delayed it and everything, the Floyd Action Network, Jay Sanders said, we are pleased with the that the court rejected the EPA's renewed request for a six month delay of the trial. The EPA's callousness towards the millions of U.S. children currently at risk of a neurotoxic harm from fluoridation ought to concern every parent, grandparent and future parent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I still just can't get past the point that it's even on the table that that would never see the light of day. Like, what does that even show you? Are they implying that the report is false or that it's been that it's not correct? Like that, because that's not even what's being discussed. Like what's crazy to me that I don't even know how to articulate this. is It's like they're literally on the surface being dishonest. Like, you know what I mean? Like right in, the, in this very conversation, they're like, we're just not going to let you see this report that you have every right to see. That's about your health because government says we don't like what it shows you or that's not what they're saying, yep. but. I mean, I really want people to reflect on how openly dishonest this process is where they're just deciding that they don't want you to see it and maybe never like just think about how ridiculous. I don't know. It just blows me away. Well, any, where, where are we now going forward? You're going to write, you're going to follow so, up on the next report. There's a few threads that I'm trying to pull between now, obviously at eight, when April comes, I'll be reporting on whatever we find out in April. Mm -hmm. And if there's any more uh, court filings between now and then, which I imagine there will be. And like I was saying earlier, the thing about following court cases like this, it can be tedious, but you just got to kind of keep up with, oh, here's a new court filing. Like that's how I found the emails, the uh, previous emails. Those weren't really, there wasn't anybody reporting on that. It was just Floyd Action Network said, here's our latest court filing. I went and read those and was like, oh my God, there's actually something here worth reporting on. People need to know about this. So um, I'm going to continue. Oh, looks like my camera did its little thing. Uh, I'm going to have to continue to report on these developments as they come. I will say one thread that I'm going to try to pull on that I haven't quite yet is going back into the emails because we have a lot of the names of the people from the CDC and the NIH who are listed in these emails, including some of the scientists at the NTP. For example, the scientist at the NTP, uh, I can't remember her name. It's in one of the previous articles. She specifically said, she's the one who said, this is ready for release. Like it's set for release. Like, you know, right. the, the language couldn't be any more clear. There's no confusion about what she said or meant. She was saying this report's ready to go. And then that's when behind the scenes, there's some communication with the CDC and the NIH, like, hey, we can't let this report come out. And they're like, I'm pretty sure um, AHS Levine's going to put a hold on this. And that kind of conversation came out. Well, I want to reach out to those scientists. And 
scientists typically don't want to get political and especially when there's ongoing like litigation and stuff like that. But maybe one of these scientists would be willing to speak, even if maybe off the record and we can get more of an inside story of how they feel. Right. Because let's imagine the worst case scenario that the judge does find in favor of the EPA and this whole thing disappears and it becomes just another chapter of forgotten history. Well, those ju- those scientists have a story to tell. If they right. did the research and they found the conclusions, which may, in this case, as you've been pointing out, may never see the light of day, we may never see what they actually wrote, then we need to talk to them directly and figure right. out if they're willing to speak publicly. So that's definitely something I'm going to be pursuing on that one. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, the way that this kind of government funded research works, they likely signed NDAs and they'll likely not be able to speak on that research. But, you know, hopefully they'll be willing to do so, especially if it's like because that would fall under a whistleblower category for sure, especially if you're talking about harms being done to children and so on. Yeah, well, looking forward to the research on that and, you know, the good work you've done so far. I will give a shout out to, as we said, uh, Dell Bigtree and having you on talking about this. I do think it's really important for people to, to see that this is happening and, you know, that's it's good we're getting some reach with that. So you're doing good. You're you know, great work with this topic. Um, the the other thing we get into, I do, I will, I want to finish today with the digital ID part of this, just because that's sure. really on everybody's minds. But you also wrote a great article about something that's just, as always, everything under COVID-19 falling under the radar that one, it, it, for those that still pretend this isn't true, is proving to you that at least Mexico believes that it's true. And then that there are going so far as to stop geoengineering from happening in Mexico because of a U.S. company that was illegally conducting geoengineering in Mexico. It's just kind of hilarious. And by the way, before you start, the picture that you can see there is actually a picture that I took myself and people can still claim that it's fake. <laughs> you could tell totally by the normal. trees that, that it's faked. And I'm like, my God, I took that myself. The Internet is ridiculous. <laughs> the totally normal sky. Yeah, yeah, totally normal. I, 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 that is actually one of the craziest I've ever personally seen. I mean, that is just unreal, really. But anyway, so tell us what's so, going on here. Yeah, so I'll, I'll preface this with a couple of things because I've seen some pushback online for from this article. I've seen it getting some traction, but I've seen some pushback, including by people who live in Mexico and saying, "Oh, I just looked up at the sky, and I'm, you know, there's some spraying going on in my town or my city or whatever." Um, oh, I see. Like, so they think it'll happen. Like, as if a government saying something that automatically led to things like, you know, so I think there's some sort of positive things to get into, and I want to share those, but then we can kind of maybe explore it a little bit more about does this mean like there's no geoengineering? Absolutely not. I mean, I live, I'm, I live, you know, between Houston and Morelia, Mexico, where we, we just had the greater reset here. The town that I live in is up in the mountains, and there's, it's very rare for us to notice any of those weird lines in the sky. But wouldn't you know it, the day the Greater Reset began for five days, there was just spraying going, I don't know what that means, but it's not typical. So did it mean that this declaration from government has stopped geoengineering 100%? No, I mean, obviously not. We can get into that because, you know, my theory is that this is these programs are beyond and above governments. They might yeah, not even, right. I doubt that they're even in control of it. So uh, anyway, this is, I think, something positive in the sense of bringing the conversation further into the mainstream. And I saw a couple of articles in the mainstream talking about it, but most of them, as you can imagine, and I'm sure the viewers can imagine, were more like, oh, how is this going to affect this amazing science of geoengineering that's going to save us from climate change? How dare Mexico question this? And um, and also some even criticizing the company that did these rogue tests in Mexico. So let's talk about this. So um, in late 2022, uh, the... The company known as Make Sunsets, which is really, as far as I could tell, only a handful of people. Luke Eisman's the main guy. They Mm -hmm. announced to the world that they had done some small version of what is known as geoengineering. And I guess maybe we'll start there first. It's that's just a name that is given to a broad category of um, 
technologies that are used to manipulate the climate, manipulate the weather. So you have geoengineering. And then under that, underneath that category, you'd have things like ocean deacidification de programs, um, uh, salination programs. There's so many different ways. It doesn't all have to do with planes. That's just one particular area under geoengineering that's called solar radiation management or specifically solar geoengineering, solar engineering, right? So, and all of that is just kind of a broader category of weather manipulation and that gets into things like cloud seeding, which is different from geoengineering, right. but well, these are those, all just in that broader category. For those listening that, that have heard, like, for instance, the conversation going back to CFR and Brennan and so on, stratospheric aerosol injection, is that what this yeah. company was doing? Is that the... That's not what they're doing. So that's that's what I want to make clear is that mm -hmm. what they were doing is a type of geoengineering, but it's not the kind that most people are concerned about or believe is already happening. What we see in the skies, the spring, that is uh, uh, stratospheric aerosol injection, as you mentioned, or solar radiation management, solar geoengineering. So they it has multiple names, but generally speaking, that's the type of solar um, or geoengineering that calls for uh, spraying aerosols of various kinds, including they've talked about sulfur, aluminum, strontium, barium, mm -hmm. and spraying those from the back of planes into the sky in order to reflect sunlight and allegedly, you know, uh, cool the planet. Calls and I've been reporting on Alzheimer's and, you know, all the, all the things, <laughs> I, you know. I've been reporting on this for years. Um, I've tried to take an approach and you'll hopefully people can see it in this article if they go read it mm -hmm. that um, and some of the other articles I've written previously that I linked to that I really do try to take an objective. This isn't a article that is talking about quote unquote chemtrails, because I think that in fact, chemtrails is, I don't think, I don't use that term. I don't think it's helpful. I think yeah, that's the I way agree. that people make fun of this. This mm -hmm. is geoengineering. There are right. geoengineering programs going on and they're lying about it and it's happening. And somebody knows what's going on. I can't say I know who it is, but somebody knows what's going on. And so I just talk about it as geoengineering. And even if you're coming from just a mainstream perspective, even if you don't say that it's happening right now, there are plenty of studies, as I point to in this article, that have already showed that geoengineering, specifically solar geoengineering, spraying stuff out of the back of planes, could lead to droughts in some areas. It could lead to like, there's studies I found that said that once you start it, you can't stop. Otherwise the temperature will heat up even faster. Right. And so my, my guess is that if they've been doing it for decades, which some people suspect since at least um, back in you know, the seventies, eighties, people report on it. I think I was even told by a friend in the Woodstock documentary, you can go watch like the original Woodstock documentary. There's like some hippie pointing to the sky and saying like, look, they're spraying the skies, man, something like that. So they've Crazy. been doing it for, for decades, right? This, whatever has been going on. And what we're told is it's just a new emerging science. It's only in theoretical phases. Bill Gates is funding it and they're trying something at Harvard, but none of it has gone real world. That's what that's what the I mean, mainstream believes. Is that really like right now the most current stated argument? I mean, like there's literally videos from even corporate outlets showing the, the airplanes fitted out with those, the, the devices on the back to spray. Like on, I mean, there's even weather people on corporate channels who will dive into that argument. So like, it's just amazing that we can be at a point where the argument is so clearly not the truth, but they just say it anyway, like with COVID or anything else. Just with anything else. Yeah. No, it still is in that same way. I mean, besides like some of those videos you're probably talking about where there's the weatherman saying, oh, I used to work for the military. This is, you know, cloud seeding. Chat, or, or chat is what he called it, I think, on that yeah. clip, right? So there's some like little admissions like that. And as I'm going to point out, and as I do in this article, there's people like John Brennan, uh, former CIA director, who, mm -hmm. you know, pay like, hey, maybe we should be doing this kind of thing. But there has not been any official admission by the U.S. government or any other government that these are active taking place now what we're dealing with here in mexico specifically now that we've explained kind of geoengineering is a type of geoengineering that is a little bit different and so 
while technically geoengineering, this isn't like, oh, no, Mexico caught a plane spraying and they banned it. And that's, you know, it, what happened was this guy all on his own, which is kind of crazy as well. It shows you just how ideas like geoengineering, these are funded by technocrats like Bill Gates and others who believe that they don't need to be voted in or, you know, in government to change the world around them. That's the true definition of technocrat. You didn't vote for them. They don't want your vote. They're going to use their money and technology and uh, expertise to shape the world. So somebody with a lot of money can just say, Hey, I'm going to start funding programs to block out the sun and things like that. Right. That's, I think what is one of the areas that's most dangerous about this whole line of thinking. And in this case, it's a small company. Make Sunsets has four or five people, Luke Eisman, the CEO, they released two weather balloons that had sulfur in them. And the idea was that this sulfur would be released out somewhere and then it would reflect sunlight. And it was made more like a publicity stunt because they didn't put any sort of tracking equipment on these balloons. They have no way to track the release of the sulfur and to even study if it worked. It was just right. as the guy admitted that it was his way of kind of trying to spark conversation. And so he did this in Baja, California, which is South Southern California, past the border into Mexico. And he didn't talk to local governments or federal government or anybody. He just did that. And then I guess made a public announcement and it you know, got reported on in some places. And this uh, prompted the Mexican government, uh, specifically the Secretary of Environment and Natural Resources, to release a statement saying that they were you know, against this experiment and that they were going to do their best to put a ban or a halt on further solar uh, geoengineering attempts. And they right. also said that there should be a respect to the precautionary principle to protect communities and the environment against the potential dangers of geoengineering. So again, mm-hmm. this is just a government saying like, we don't approve of this. This guy didn't get any permission from us. We're going to stand against this, but it's still strong words because this is the first government I've seen anywhere in the world that I know of. And somebody right. correct me if I'm wrong, that's come out and said like, Hey, we don't like this and we're going to stop this until further notice. They mm-hmm. also specifically said that studies, this is a quote, quote, studies show negative impacts due to the release of these aerosols and that they may cause, that they cause meteorological imbalances. And they also talk about how, you know, there's supposed to be international agreements like the 2010 United Nations Convention on Biological Diversity, which have established moratoriums on geoengineering and and weather modification. Now, nobody thinks those things are really being followed, but they're trying to say, hey, like, aren't there international agreements to this? Aren't we supposed to be, you know, doing something here? And so to address the point I was starting with earlier, it's words on paper from a government. Trust right. it as much as you want, right? I mean, like, but is it a, a win in the sense of giving you more fuel? Again, if you have friends who won't even look up at the sky or they see that and they're like, oh, come on, man, that's just, it's a little weird, but it's just normal, right? Talk to them about geoengineering. Show them like, hey, look, now a government has even acknowledged that there are studies that are showing harm. And I linked to some of those studies in this article. If you Mm -hmm. want to go see them, like I said, the droughts, loss of blue skies from that permanent haze you see after those lines are there. And once the wind come blows out all those particles, the sky gets hazy. They're saying that if this goes on, we could lose blue skies. You might try to do geoengineering in one area to, you know, prevent uh, heating or whatever. And then it creates drought in a whole different part of the world. Like there's right. no way for them to control and, this. And if they have been doing it, then we're already in the middle of the experiment and they may just be doing it because of fear of stopping. Well, and and, th- and this is just the cursory conversation about whether the assuming they're doing it for the right reasons might have its own fallout. That's not even getting into, as you know, the weaponization of this historically and going forward. And that's the scary part about how it will be used going forward, talking about biological, bio, you know, we j- actually I just had a show yesterday talking about the research, which is very real project diffuse, where they put forward a, a proposal to literally aerosolize this 
this whole thing. It was basically self-spreading vaccines in regard to, you know, working with Equal Health Alliance and Ralph Barrick and North Carolina and Wuhan and the whole damn thing. And then showing even before that about myocarditis induced coronaviruses. And I just posed the question, were they working on this and they did they try to aerosolize it? You know, and the point is, that's the future we're going into. But we know we have history of like discussions about Israel and Iran about China and multiple people, about the arguments about whether or not they are actively doing these things to cause droughts in these countries. I mean, it's a real thing. So it's interesting that we're, that I guess the whole government conversation just kind of skips right over that. And that's like, it's not even actually there. But to your point in the beginning, I think it's really interesting that, you know, you, the point, to, your main, to your actual point, we don't know is the real thing to acknowledge here because Mexico could be lying about this. They could be saying this to, to stop the U.S. version of what they want to do. Or it could be the I think the most logical is that if you were still seeing these things happen, it's the same thing still happening. These are companies that don't even care to ask Mexico whether or not they can. They just act with impunity, which is kind of common for a lot of U.S. companies and government. So, you know, I think I that's agree. probably. But one last thing, the activism part, which I wanted your comment on, is that ultimately, let's see where this was. The This is really interesting to me. You were talking about this. The, Luke Eisman, it says right here that he that the, the, the experiment was, quote, part entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial and part provocation, an act of geoengineering activism this terrifies me here's actually this part too we joke slash not joke that this is partly a company and partly a cult this kind of thing really keeps me up at night like the conversation about so these people that's why arguably they did this without asking for any kind of permission because they just think it's the right thing to do now even if that is the case ask think about how alarming that is to be experimenting with things that could change everyone's existence because of what they've decided is right. Not even discussing how climate change itself is being debated on a massive way. What are your thoughts about that? It scares me. Yeah. And I, that's why I wanted to include that segment there that just that, that quote from Luke Eisman. And I want to look more into make set Mike sunsets. I found a couple of donors to them, but there's not clear. I mean, they could be funded by Bill Gates and other people. And even if it's not Bill Gates, clearly, as I wrote there, I think he's kind of a climate change extremist. Yeah. Uh, he, he went on to say that he knows this is going to make him look like a Bond villain to certain people, but quote, it's morally wrong for us not to be doing this. So See? again, like it's, it's that kind of conversation that we have to do this. Like, how dare we not do this? Of course I need to do some extreme stunt, like go release some sulfur particles in Mexico and get banned by the Mexican government. I mean, as far as I know, the whole thing could be a publicity stunt because it kind of makes me curious of like, how does one small random company that nobody's paying attention to go release two balloons in Mexico and make headlines? You know, right. maybe, you know, they, they reached out to some people and said, Hey, we're doing this. And then it gets reported on. And then the Mexican government right. responds. But I do think that overall these programs, uh, as I've written in past government, uh, past articles that the, um, the geoengineering programs, I call them like gateways, like a gateway drug to global governance, because even yes. the conversation itself about, well, we can't have one rogue nation doing this. We have to have an international global agreement about how we're going to geoengineer. That they don't follow this. anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you see how it like creates that conversation to why we need global governance structures or right. look, this one company, rogue company in Mexico is doing this. This is why we need an international body to regulate, you know, geoengineering and climate change. I just think that that's part of where this is all going and people should, you know, be aware of that. And uh, I will mention that in the article, I encourage everybody to go read it. There's a whole second section where I list the various studies going over Mm -hmm. the uh, negative effects. But the final part of the article, I talk about what I call, which is a little bit clumsy, but I think it makes sense. The intelligence, military, weather manipulation complex, because Mm -hmm. this is, Coming from, as typical, the U.S. military and uh, various intelligence agencies, including the CIA, 
we've talked about in the past, like cloud seeding. We know that in the Vietnam War, they were doing cloud seeding, trying to flood out the Viet Cong as part of Operation Popeye. That's specifically them trying to create rainstorms. So that's mm-hmm. that's not geoengineering, but it's a type of weather modification. And that's on the record. There's no right. controversy about that. That's a fact. And we also know that they were uh, that they have had plans for this. Like there's a uh, the what's it called the owning the weather by 2025 weather is a force multiplier. It's a 1996 right. air force document. So it's 2023 guys. They planned, they made plans 20 years ago to be able to 30 years ago to be able to own the weather by this time period, or at least yeah. within the next couple of years. And I'd say they're probably pretty close to it. And I just go further into this for those who haven't um, you know, looked into this history. There's a professor, a very mainstream professor who worked for the um, IPCC, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Mm-hmm. In 2015, I reported that he wrote, he gave a speech at uh, UCLA where he said he received a call from two different CIA agents asking them questions about weather manipulation and if they thought it could be used against the United States and how that would work. And so he gave this speech basically saying like, I believe the CIA is involved in this. This is why I got a call because they see me as an expert. And he thought the whole thing was pretty crazy. Then you fast forward one year later and John Brennan's given a speech at the council on foreign relations discussing how geoengineering, you know, could quote help reverse the warming effects of global climate change. So mm-hmm. You know, you've got government military documents, you got CIA officials calling scientists, the former head of the CIA saying that this might be a good idea. And then the final thing I link in this uh, article is an article I wrote, I think 2017, 2018, after the latest big hurricane Harvey hit Houston, where I'm from. And it just set me off on a whole nother rabbit hole, specifically studying hurricane manipulation. And there is a 150 year history of that of them trying to find ways to manipulate hurricanes from really simple things like using dry ice and stuff like that to more sophisticated uh, methods for directing and steering hurricanes, which they seem to have publicly stopped discussing. But you can go back as recent as 2005 and find discussion of government programs trying to know how to manipulate hurricanes. And I think that they have figured this out and they maybe have it down to very sophisticated where if they want to, they can cause a crisis here and okay, let's, you know, cause some economic um, turmoil and destruction in this city for whatever reasons they have. And it serves some purposes, or maybe they believe they can and mistakes happen. And as I point out in that hurricane article, there's at least two different historical examples where there was announced, I mean, like admitted publicly announced, we're going to be doing some hurricane uh, manipulation studies. And then a hurricane takes a weird turn and smashes Mm -hmm. into South Carolina and they claim, Oh no, no, we never, we actually didn't go through with that. That wasn't us. We didn't do that. So there's just a whole history there. If this is new to you, please do take some time to dive into this article. I tried to put a lot of pieces and again, stay objective, not get into like chemtrails. They're trying to kill us and this and that. Maybe they are. Strontium barium, like you mentioned, um, Ryan, Alzheimer's and other things like poisoning right. the food. These are real questions. But the fact of the matter is we now have at least one government saying and admitting that there are studies showing there are dangers of this. Use that as fuel to reach other people. That doesn't mean blindly trust the Mexican government or AMLO's here to save us or anything like that, right. or that all geoengineering programs have stopped in Mexico because we don't know who's doing it. I don't think it's the Mexican government in control. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I think I like I think your point you made before is that this is much larger. It's not a, it's not national in scope. And I think this is it's got long since I think a lot of these things today are like that. And I think we're just you know really starting to see this. I was grabbing a couple of some of these are your older articles, actually, from uh, from the let's see here. I wanted to grab this one in particular. You mentioned this. I think this is really interesting. And this is what I want people to check out in regard to I believe it was Hurricane Harvey. 
right? And and this yeah. this I, I said this then. Weather is being engineered in the Gulf. Evidence that is hard to deny. It's it's near impossible to not see what we go over in this video. I mean, the most obvious is simply that a lot of a lot of people said, "Look, hurricanes, as we should know, gain their their power, their their energy from the water." So how it's I mean, historically, in how is it possible that a hurricane could go over Texas and then gain strength? After it crosses onto the land, which is exactly what happened. I mean, this is something that just got completely dismissed by all the corporate conversation. And the reality being is that weather people are like, well, that's ridiculous. There's something that happened and you can show all this other stuff. And I think that your, your, to your point has been something that has been executed a lot and is still being used. Yeah. And people may think that sounds crazy, but you can prove that this is at the very least possible. So ask yourself why these governments wouldn't be interested in finding this out, even if you want to pretend it's about stopping the other people from doing it you know what i mean it's just the same point but there's a lot of this stuff here we could talk about and research we've done both on your website and last american vagabond conscious resistance you should check that out it's just it's such it's something that i think has been going on a lot longer we realize you can go back in history to where you know as early as they were able to try to you know get something like cloud seeding level they were doing this and then that was fake news until they went to the next step and then it was something that was kind of like tacitly admitted to and, you know, it's, it's very interesting how this has gone. Do you think there's any overlap with this into like the COVID-19 conversation? Like just hypothetically, I know it's a, it's kind of a guess um, win, but. No, I mean, I think that that's an interesting question. Uh, first off, I, I think that like you were, you were saying a moment ago, like we're, we, we're not, I don't think we're going to get a full admission one day that all of a sudden it's happening. I think that they will, well, it'll be like this today geoengineering programs have started pay no attention that it looks exactly like everything you've been seeing beforehand right it'll just Mm -hmm. be one of those things that oh now no we are doing it we weren't doing it before we are doing it now and it's good for you right so i think that's one thing is i I don't expect despite just like with the fluoride topic like all these truths right here and these facts laid out in front of us that we're going to get that sort of admission now in terms of covid and you know this discussion and it's something you've covered very deeply and myself as well in terms of what's really causing people to get sick or what's the consequence of this and that. Um, and as I've said a bunch of times before, I don't think it's 5G. I think EMFs do cause health problems and that could be a contributing factor to an overall cumulative, you know, deteriorative health, um, state of health. Mm-hmm. And this could be the same thing because, I mean, this is a question I've seen some people pose and I think some people maybe are just stuck in defeatism a little bit, but there is a, a hard, a hard conversation that needs to happen about, mm-hmm. well, what if I go get my own land and I grow my own food, but they're spraying every day. Right. And mm-hmm, is that mm-hmm. going into my crops and my soil and people yes. testing for soil in these places, they do find high, um, high traces of aluminum and barium and strontium. There's some of the same things they discuss. So it's a realistic conversation. Are those things getting into the soil, getting into the water, getting into the food that we're consuming them? So even if you're eating the most healthy, organic, this and that diet, but if those particles are being sprayed of you and drifting down eventually into the air you breathe or the water you consume, yeah, you know, it's going to be hard to deny that that will have some kind of effect on our health. I think it probably would be a cumulative thing where we see an increase in Alzheimer's, like you mentioned, or other things like that. And everybody's like, where is this coming from? I can't, you know, what's the real source? Just like, oh, is it the stuff in the vaccines or is it the stuff, the fluoride in the water, or is it the spraying going on? I mean, these are the things that are all of it together. And the EMFs, these are the things that often get dismissed as conspiracy theory, but I do think there is a realistic conversation and important conversation around the cumulative effect of all of these different factors. There's a great clip that you played of a question you asked Catherine Austin Fitz that is exactly in that that lane. And and this is something we should really, even Andrew Coffin has argued this early on in this, that it seems more likely, or even Cowan himself, that there, there are a lot of overlapping factors that probably all contribute. Glyphosate, Stephanie Seneff, PhD, made 
this argument, then it's almost impossible to ignore. I think we're getting to that point to where, whether it's by design or just clumsy malfeasance, where, you know, glyphosate is ubiquitous. I mean, we can't escape that today. It's in the clothes you're wearing, the air you're breathing, and the soil beneath your feet. And that's provable. Like I often mention, the, the every single member of parliament, I forget what year, 2016 in, in the UK, took a piss test. And every single one of them had glyphosate in their urine. It's in every organic wine. I mean, this is outrageous, right? But it's we're past that point. Now we've got things like mRNA going on or, you know, whether or not these things are going to, you know, it's, it's alarming and they never seem to think about this and, you know, GMOs or any of this kind of stuff. And so this is why I think it's important that we get ahead of these conversations like you're having right now and that you think about the bigger picture and not focus on one thing alone and dismiss everything else, you know, but Ryan viruses don't exist. It's like, yes, I hear that. I understand that there's a, a nuance to the conversation, but we can't be hyper-focused. As I said to someone the other day, you're missing the forest for the trees, right? Because you, you're you focusing on a valid point, but you're not considering, like I said in the beginning of the show I just had, it's like, what if these people who are working on these things believe they're working on viruses, but they're, they're clearly working on something, and we acknowledge there are other things out there. So I just, I, we need to keep open our minds to the fact that there are much larger things at play, I think. And back to the question that I was asking about COVID, the reason I asked that Something popped into my mind, then we can finish with the digital ID point because it overlaps with COVID. We're hearing all this conversation about these Chinese balloons and all this stuff, which, frankly, my first inclination is it's a ridiculous distraction story, big, clunky balloons. It's like, well, you know, who knows? It's possible. But what if it's something else? Right. We're talking about these these the conversation of the geoengineering and these kind of balloons we actually just mentioned. Like, that's an interesting overlap, right? Is there something you think there's something to that angle and that it could be more going on there? Just again, just just a thought. I actually just looked that up this morning because I saw people posting somebody uh, that I follow saying like the Chinese balloons is a, uh, is it just a distraction? I was like, I don't even know what it's, what it is. So I guess I'm yeah. not distracted enough, you know, yeah. but I went and looked it up and saw it. And I was like, well, that's kind of crazy, right? That's definitely tripping out a bunch of people. I'm sure the Chinese are here. They're coming, you know, they yeah. got a balloon over Latin America and a balloon over the U S yeah, I can understand the fear, but also my mind goes to, Again, the U.S. is such a tightly controlled airspace with all this military. And you're telling me some balloon right. just strolls in and they or, just now noticed it? Or why it's a balloon in the first place. Like, like so you're going to use something that you can literally without question see from the ground. And that's supposed to be some kind of covert program. So you do this, you do this knowing that we're going to see it. And what's the objective there? Like, uh, clearly this is benefiting the U S narrative. I don't want to get into all that, but (laughs) it's just such a, those things drive me crazy. But do do you think that that could historically have been used before and like the overlap there, just because I think that that is something that I hadn't even thought about. Like geoengineering is clearly happening and it's clearly ramping up. So if there is an overlap with some kind of COVID thing or self-spreading vaccine conversation, nanotechnology, it's like, it's scary to think about. Yeah, I would definitely be concerned if that balloon popped and a whole bunch of stuff came out of it went out in the sky. But uh, there's also similar, I mean, I've seen similar tech the U.S. has that are these, I don't know what's the, they're like satellites, but they look like giant balloons and there's usually all kinds of equipment inside. Mm -hmm. That's what they're claiming. This like, oh, this the Pentagon says it's clear this is a Chinese, you know, it's meant to spy and we change some things up so they can't read our signals. and, And it's like, okay, it could just be. There's a lot of, and again, totally cut different conversation, but there's a lot of, as you know, saber rattling going on between the U.S. and China. I feel like this just plays into that narrative for people who are following that mainstream totally. storyline. There's probably a U.S. balloon over China that China's hyping to their people right now. You know, it's like <laughs> they're playing this game. Oh, my God. And really, they're behind the scenes working just to get us all in this mindset. You know, that's I tend to see the much more coordination between China and Israel, China, the United States, and, you know, the same game. And we all get hyped into this because it's easier to control us that way. But I don't know. I just want us to think about there's so much more that could be happening 
And if we just buy in wholeheartedly to one narrative, one thing that we miss the other possibilities. And like, I, I, I thought I was thinking more about like the potential to release something for other, even if it is China, like, just think of it from a bioweapon perspective. Maybe China's releasing something. You know, same thing that they argue the U.S. did to them at the World, the World Games. It's like, you know, there's, there's possible, or it could be deeper than that. Maybe there's a coordination. I just want us to think about that because that is quite alarming. And that brings us into the point in regard to the, the digital ID. And this very point, hypothetically, could be used, like the rest of it, to drive us into accepting that. You know, because what what would be a better push right now than the next big dangerous pandemic to say, well, now we need these passports because this is the real one. You know, yeah, we do. We know the other one wasn't as bad. We now realize it. But this one's real. You know, it's like it's the next step. You know, what do you think? Yeah, I think that you're right. I mean, there's there's a lot of narratives being spun right now. And I mean, this is why I tend to when it comes to these stories, like I step back and. OK, people are talking about spy balloon this week and then there's the next pandemic mm-hmm. and there's this thing. And, and then it tends to be within days and sometimes as soon as days, just by being patient, more likely weeks and even months, the picture gets a little more clear. And I feel like a little bit more like I have some kind of foundation because overall it's like, man, I don't know what these people got planned. I do think 2023, as we're about to talk about with the digital IDs, is going to be a big year for their agendas. And yeah. if they have to use a fake pandemic or some threat of terrorism back or, you know, nuclear war, whatever, or climate change, obviously all of it, all of it together, you know, (laughs) super tornado cyclones or whatever they want to come up with the fake alien invasion, right? Like they're going to use it. And this Mm -hmm. is why to me, like the focus is journalistically trying to pick apart their narratives and provide people some context. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's this, this, this report was actually really, you know, all of your work is well done, but this is, it's it, not only is it a, an important kind of just uh, outline of what this company is and where their connections lie and why that's concerning, but just the weird, the, the, I think the, the one, the thing that stood out to me the most in this that I really keep trying to show people is whether we're talking the two party paradigm or any narrative they have, they've got a set argument, you know, here's why this makes sense, Right. It's about the poor people. It's about the people that desperately are calling for their digital ID and they just can't grasp it. You know, it's like, okay, so then people that want to, you know, the whatever you want to call it, it doesn't apply to the liberal these days, which is the bleeding heart, wherever they may fall out there going, oh, no, we have to step up and save the person the government says we need to save today, you know, and it turns out it's a completely false argument. I, I don't see any body out there, any at, at groupings of people going, we need digital ID. I see people everywhere going, get that the F away from me. Like in, in especially the places they point at Africa, India, these are groups that are hyper aware that they shouldn't trust these companies, that they shouldn't trust this government, whether it's Bill Gates, you know, polio vaccine, they know what's going on or GMOs entirely. So it's interesting to see that these, they're so desperate to sell this to you or anybody that they want you to think that it's about equity, about you know, any of yeah. these things they push, but it's completely hollow. Right. So start there for me and then give give us a, a background about what this company is and why you think it's important. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, to the point you're talking about there, as far as it's just the same old uh, buzzwords that we hear from the UN and, and world economic forum and elsewhere, like equity, sustainability, justice. Uh, they talk about, and I, this is one thing I picked apart for years with the 5g rollout. They talk about, well, there's a digital divide and there's some truth to this, that poor parts of cities and more rural areas tend to get the technology the last, like, so in terms of the internet rollout and then things like the upgrade networks, 5g and stuff like that, uh, they do often get the, the technology the last. Now they use that sort of argument, which there's probably some good discussion around why does that happen? And then maybe even some better discussion about should those people want this new technology that's being or, rolled or, out, right? Or do they at all? 
right now. Exactly, because there's this uh, there's this assumption that like, well, everybody wants it, and we need to make sure they get it as soon as fast as possible. How horrible that these people don't have this technology that we don't even know if they want. You know, and what does and, that sound like the, right now? What is the, what's the obvious overlap? The vaccine. That's exactly, exactly the same thing that people are pushing back against. It's the, and this I is the same thing they do in every area. Yeah. Fluoride needs to be in the water because poor people in poor neighborhoods can't afford to brush their teeth as often as the rich neighborhoods. So if God. we put it in the water, then that way they can drink it and then it'll still help them, even if they're poor, right? Or even poor if that's completely false. Vaccines first. <laughs> you know, the brown people in the brown neighborhoods get the vaccines first. The people in the poor neighborhoods they need to get the five G first. It's so it starts with that, like this idea of this digital divide, mm-hmm. and then they are taking that idea even further. And we've talked about this before. Um, I linked to it in this article, my previous article about the uh, digital ID is a human rights scam, and how mm-hmm. the United Nations and other organizations are continuing to push that. And it's the same thing, like you were saying, it's these poor Indian farmers, these poor Mexican farmers, these poor Southeast Asian countries that are just don't have the infrastructure people out there. They don't have a bank account and it's basically like they don't exist, which reinforces this idea that you're not a person unless you have government documents and you need this government documents to be a real person, but paper is not enough anymore. Now it needs to be a digital identity and then you'll be a real person. We can't, we don't want to leave you behind. We don't, you know, that's, that's the whole like leave no person behind digital divide kind of argument they have these days, but it really does just come down to selling people on that right there. That is a human right that people should not be left behind. They, everybody needs a digital identity and there's all sorts of negative consequences. I'm sure there are negative consequences in the world we're living in because governments have monopolized everything. And they say, Hey, if you don't have these proper things, we won't let you do these things. Great point. That doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you as a human being existing just alive. It means they created a system and now it's going digital that says that if you don't have these these uh, requirements, these, you know, these tools, then you can't operate within our system. You don't have credit, uh, you know, score, you can't get an apartment. You don't have this thing. And so that's, that's, I think another thing to kind of pick apart is you're a human being just by your right to exist, just by being here, by being born, you know, being brought into this earth, you don't need government documents, but they're trying to really sell people on this idea that you're a real person once you have these things, I can't stop seeing the overlap, obviously, because it's everywhere right now. But it's I feel like there's more to be said about why this overlap is so apparent right now that it's about the way they conduct themselves. But the overlap to the vaccine again. Right. What you're just described is about coercion, but more long form. Right. About creating a digital world where, you know, because they want to where whether or not you want it, you can't exist the way you want to with, unless you have their tools and passports and so on. So it's just the same game in a more focused way for the vaccine, right? It's just that they create a situation where you have to have the passport. Otherwise you can't go to the store. It's like, well, I don't want the vaccine. I just want to go buy some groceries, you know, and it's, and it's the same game. So they've built this world and all these pieces connect more than most though. You know, as you know, the great reset, you know, it's all about creating the world. Catherine Austin Fitz has some of the best work in my opinion on that exact focal point, the vaccine passport, the financial overlap, the going direct reset. She often points out. That's that's some interesting stuff to me. Anyway, continue. And this is absolutely instrumental to that whole goal. I mean, they in order to create the world that they envision, the fourth industrial revolution, the great reset technocracy, they have to have digital IDs. They right. have to have digital IDs. They have to have digital wallets with a digital currency that they can control and manipulate. And that's where this is all going. That's what the vaccine passports and all that use your phone, red or green, you're good to go, is getting people comfortable with that idea that they're going to have a mobile device or a mobile driver's license, as I discussed in here. And so this article itself, it's focused on the Better Identity Coalition. And I probably could do a series of looking at all the different people who are promoting digital identity because there's a, there's quite a few of them. But it comes down to 
a handful of organizations related to the World Health Organization, the UN, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the same kind of uh, web of people all weave together. And the reason I saw this and I, I wanted to talk about it is because there's, again, there's, there's this push coming for a digital identity, but it's, I don't think, and I don't think either one of us or anybody listening to this would believe that this is a genuine push. Like you said, there's nobody out there just saying, hey, I need a digital identity. My life's not complete until I get right. that done. Or, you know, I, don't, I need 5G to be 6G already so that I can live in the future. Like it's, it's, it's a totally engineered from the bottom up corporate push for these programs. And the Better Identity Coalition is part of this. And so I've had somebody send me this story that just a few weeks back or a couple months back in December 2022, the Better Identity Coalition, they released this report, which is called Better Identity in America, a blueprint for state policymakers. And this was essentially their vision of how U.S. government officials, state officials specifically, should operate and what they should do. This is like the kind of barking orders, right? This is how right. a lot of things happen. People pay attention to the World Economic Forum, Council on Foreign Relations. There's so many of these different, you know, deep state groups, if you will, or swampy groups that are just think tanks you never heard of. They put out policy reports, but you look in their boards and the people they're funded by, and it's, you know, goes back to the same old military industrial complex, biomedical complex, technocratic state. And it's the same case here. So this group you never heard of put out a report in 2022, December 22, 22, telling state lawmakers, these are the steps you need to take to prepare for the digital ID uh, future that's coming. And one of the things I thought was interesting is they specifically told state officials that they need to, quote, overcome fear, uncertainty and doubt uh, regarding ID innovations, which get the most residents and digital ID programs. So they're basically just telling governments and states like, hey, back, you know, get ready. We're, we're going to bring this stuff in. And they specifically, they quote something uh, called a mobile's driver's license as one of these kinds of innovations that they say is helping push us towards digital identity. And I think more and more people are hearing about this, even if under a different name, just digital driver's licenses, but it seems like the name they're going with is mobile driver's licenses, which is defined. One definition I found as a driver's license that is provisioned to a mobile device, which would be your phone, you assume, with the capability to be updated in real time. And it's being promoted as the future of licensing and the pr- uh, future of proof of identity. That's so, the important part, though. Updated yeah. in real time because you can be shut off, right? Exactly. Like, you know, Everything can be instant. You know, they're going to say it's going to be so convenient. Now, if you need to change your address, we can update that in real time. But obviously, if cares? they need to say, hey, like COVID denier, deny them, you know, they're, right. they're ration this week, <laughs> lock them out, then obviously Very that true. could happen. And so they go on with some more recommendations, which it, essentially what it seems like they're calling for is in the United States, for those familiar, you have Department of Motor Vehicle or Department of Public Transportation, different things like that, where you go get your driver's license, those boring government buildings. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're calling for them to be repurposed as like the center for getting these mobile driver's licenses, as well as to offer identity validation alongside vital records like birth certificates and other government documents. So it seems like that's going to be kind of become a new hub. Right. in different states and regions for pushing out the digital identity uh, infrastructure. It sounds, it sounds like it's more than just these ideas we already understand too. Like as you said, confirmation, like the more that the, you know, p- technocratic panopticon expands, these will be, this is where it seems you'll be going to, to whatever those new steps will be. But it's, it, they, it's a uh, vaccine passport is included in there. And that's an important part that they, exactly. you know, they don't really say outwardly, but that's obviously part of it. They mention it as, you know, upcoming, you know, pandemics and other things. And like, that's, that's the big crux for me is because that that's the barrier right there. But you know, it could be used the same way for climate change. 
carbon tax, same thing. Carbon, carbon credits, all of it. I mean, this is going to be an all-encompassing digital wallet that yeah. will track. You're already starting to see this with some companies. And I guess, look, if you're a private company and you feel like my customers want this, then sure, go ahead and do it. But clearly there's, you know, an engineered thing going on where you, I've mm-hmm. been, you go buy a, a flight now, or even on sometimes for those who use Google search, I noticed they have like, it tells you how much, um, you know, gas you're using and how much carbon was output. And then it might suggest like, here's a greener route, like little things like that are starting mm-hmm. to happen. Right. Well, those are going to be the kind of things that you get rewarded for if you take that greener right. route, or if you choose to take the bus instead of driving or just choose to stay home, don't go anywhere, you know, it's safer inside. You'll get more points as opposed to like, Oh no, you went and drove your big gas guzzling truck down the block. And you know, you're going to lose carbon credits this time. And companies that are partnered with the world economic forum will start offering incentives just like with the vaccine hey you get yes. free donuts for a year if you don't drive ever if you promise to never drive again and just all kinds of stuff like that i can guarantee and, you that's coming soon and it always transitions as you know throughout this process it starts with going hey we'll give you free things then it's going to say oh well you know we'll we'll take them away and then it's going to be mandatory because you're killing grandma you know it's like it's incentive exactly. it's de-incentive and then it, you know then it's just absolute violence you know and that yep. that's that's where the esg part of this comes in from a company level Right. Where exactly. you've got the companies who are now basically being it's interesting how this is even being done. So what we just discussed is like the person level where we're being graded by yeah. individual companies. But then you've got the companies themselves being graded by the government and the WHO on whether or not they've effectively tricked us enough to do these things. It's wildly Orwellian. It's really it's really what, what do you think about that in the ESG overlap? Well, I do think that the ESG concept will probably eventually some version of it be extended to the people. And that's what the social credit score many of us are talking about, have been warning about for years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. It, it's one way to get the businesses. Like, let's say you're just a, a business, a big business, and you you have no political kind of a persuasion. You're just, um, just here to make money, profit, run a good business. And then you start hearing all this talk from other big businesses of ESG is the next wave. This is how, you know, your company is going to keep up with the times. And this is the way that uh, your consumers can know where you stand and how good your, um, oh, excuse me, my camera, let me change that. Yeah, how good okay. your, <laughs> your uh, environmental, social and governance for those yeah. not aware. Um, I just think that's going to be the way that they first get it in, right? Because they can pressure companies to do that. And then through that, the consumer gets used to it, right? So if your favorite mm-hmm. store starts saying, hey, we're ESG compliant, you're going to be like, what's ESG compliant? Okay, well, that's a cool thing. I want to support those businesses. And again, I mean, I'm the kind of person that looks at what a company's involved in. There's nothing wrong with that. But this is just the top-down World Economic Forum and others introducing their own standard. They call right. it ESG to start pushing the stakeholder capitalism um, view and then through that getting the customers used to that as well of being judged and graded based on your green score and things like that and that will lead to social credit scores on the individual level absolutely absolutely i mean i it's just a foregone conclusion the scariest part about this is they're not even hiding this i mean they may not be saying social credit i mean well just so it's clear we already have you know generally you know, credit scores, it's the same thing, right? There's different varying ways they do this. When it all collects in a digital kind of organized way, that's going to be the scary thing we're pointing at. But you you mentioned this in regard to this company in general. And that's where we, if you want to get into like the overlapping yeah. connections, I found the most alarming to be the, ob- the one of the, the first two on the, on the partners was Experion and uh, credit check systems. Like, so the, the, yeah, the, Equifax the, and... Yes, exactly. And so they're literally on the surface saying, oh, we're, we're going to work with these companies that already grade your credit. And and it's, so, I mean, I don't know how you don't see what that shows you, you know, that it's going to connect with this. And they're telling you that. 
So go if you yeah. go into me for the connections for me. Sure, sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna go into that in just a second. I want to finish okay. just with the the last little recommendation just to oh, make yeah, it even more clear. So this is the Better Identity Coalition, uh, who are connected to a whole nest of uh, of deep state agents. We'll go into in just a moment. So they're pushing this digital driver's license, mobile driver's license is what they're being called. And again, they bring up the point we started with earlier, Ryan, that like if we're going to promote programs, we need to make sure that we support marginalized populations and that they get the same, you know, kind of love in the driver's license effort. And that goes back to the whole digital divide thing. But as I write here, the only way the technocratic state can work is if they are able to register the entire population with these digital systems. And in right. fact, the report says, quote, every step that gets a state closer to 100 percent participation with digital IDs is important. So their goal is is full scope. And, and that might sound totally unreasonable. People are like, oh, the U.S. is a big country. But as I point out here, and this is just you know a little segment of this article, there's so much more that can be said and written about the Adhar system in India, but that's, that was right. one of the first ones I was warning about in my book, how to opt out of the technocratic state uh, back in 2019, because they've had it for years. Right. So I found one article from 2018 of the New York times actually being honest and talking about how people see this as big brother. They scanned 1.3 billion people's fingerprints, eyes, and faces. They went to every single small village Crazy. in India and made it happen. So it can happen and it can and will happen. And the time to resist is then, back then when they're doing that, when they're scanning people's faces. Now, of course, if, you, if you're if you kind of stuck and you're like, well, if I don't do this, my job says I can't get paid anymore. You know, then that gets us into the conversations about focusing on solutions and not waiting to that point. Like if, 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 right. if we know that these plans are already happening, why should we just sit around and just wait till that moment comes? Now is the time to start preparing to be outside of their systems. And uh, then I found a report just from a couple of weeks ago, January 13th, Reuters talks about how banks are using facial recognition and iris scanning for some transactions. And then, of course, Bill Gates has a, a, a blog on his website promoting how great the digital ID in India is. And they got a smiling Indian woman who probably has no idea she was being used for propaganda for Bill Gates and others. And uh, But that's how they're selling it. You know, it's all about helping these poor people who are going to be left behind if we don't bring them into the modern world with the digital identity and save them. But that's all about getting recolonizing Africa that the U.S. is doing now, mm -hmm. uh, continuing to colonize India, South America, Latin America, by promoting this idea that the people need to get out of the underground economy, the counter economy, and put them in that mainstream economy where they're going to just make money off them, tax them, track them everything else that we know is coming. Like, so I just wanted to make that clear too. That's where this is all going. They say themselves 100% participation is what they're after. Right. Well, speaking of digital IDs, we got to get you a new camera. We gotta get you <laughs> I don't know why it keeps doing this. It's tripping me out. It's creepy Somebody's as hell, by hacked the way. in my camera and scanning my face. Um, but yeah, I wanted to get into the point you were mentioning though too, about this is the, one of the reasons why I wrote the article. I wanted to write the article to say, Hey, like, look, this reports out. There's clear, this agenda is going forward with digital identities, mm -hmm. but more importantly to say, well, who are these people? Let's look at who is, who's the company behind this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Better identity coalition created in July, 2018. They've only done two things pretty much. They put out one report in 2018. That was a report specifically for federal lawmakers in the U S and then they put out this latest report this year. That was for state lawmakers. So their only, only purpose is just to put out reports and tell the state and the feds what to do. And that's how <laughs> this works. And they're made up of companies like CVS, Discover, Equifax, JP Morgan and Chase, uh, right. MasterCard, Facetech, ID.me, Microsoft, Wells Fargo. And as I point out, many of these partners, many of these uh, companies are partners and contributors with the World Economic Forum listed on their website as well. Right. So 
it's just some of the same old thing. And I did note they had they recently held a virtual conference. They brought together members of Congress, U.S. Senate officials from the TSA, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, OpenID. So you might not have heard of them, but they seem to be influential or at least connected, and they're bringing on influential and powerful people into right. their uh, you know their events and and into their their reports. So then I looked into, well, where did they come from? Well, they were founded by an organization called the Center for Cybersecurity Policy and Law back in 2018. And, well, who's the cybersecurity for policy and law? It just keeps going, right? And mm-hmm. I, I found that, well, this is an organization that also has, you know, they've got a history, but that doesn't really tell you much. So many of these organizations, in my mind, like the, uh, the alarm goes off if I'm reading these organizations and they have they describe themselves in these very plain general ways like, we're an independent organization dedicated to enhancing cybersecurity worldwide by providing government, private industry policies to better manage security threats. It doesn't really tell you anything. It sounds nice, but it doesn't really tell you anything. And that's how a lot of these organizations operate. But I will point um, out really quickly, it's interestingly telling that all of them are about security. Like they're all very focused behind the scenes, but that's not what they really sell it as, right? They're selling it as convenience to the poor person. But very clearly, it's about secure, securing your movements and your actions. And they're all very clear about that one step behind the scenes. You know, go ahead. Exactly. And so you start looking, well, who's behind Better Identity Coalition? It's the Center for Cybersecurity Policy and Law. So it's all about cybersecurity, managing security threats, and again, bringing together industry leaders, policymakers, forming coalitions, and producing real-world outcomes. So their focus is absolutely to influence politicians, influence people in power, and to bring them into their fold. Um, to enhance cybersecurity. So I started to look at who are some of the players in the Center for Cybersecurity Policy and Law, which is the organization that founded the Better Identity Coalition. Mm-hmm. And I didn't spend a lot of time looking at every single person, but you know, just the first two I looked up, I found some interesting, notable things. I'm sure if we continued to look, we would probably find more and more details. Maybe at a future date, we'll do that. But one of them was this guy named Ari Schwartz, who's the coordinator for the center. And he is, uh, he works with his law firm as a managing director, again, of cybersecurity policy. He has worked with different organizations, including the uh, National Institutes of Standards and Technology for their cybersecurity framework. And I didn't mention this earlier, but the reason I mentioned this in the article is because one of the conclusions of the Better Identity Coalition was that when it comes to things like facial recognition technology, we sh- governments shouldn't ban the technology. And instead, they should look to the National Institute of Standard and Technology for their guidance. Well, this guy comes from the National Institute of Standards and Technology. So you got the Better Identity Coalition and the organization who founded them, one of their team members used to work for the organization that they're recommending people follow. Maybe there's nothing nefarious there, but if you also, yeah, it's that revolving door. And then if you also understand your 9-11 history, NIST is the organization that was involved in covering up the collapse of the Twin Towers. They're the ones who issued the reports claiming that it was perfectly normal for fire to cause this nearly free fall speed and this and that. So just another government organization that we should be aware of. But those closed loops you point out are are constant in government today. uh, pasta from uh, slow slow news day or of of a uh, am wake up makes this makes this point in regard to the ballots and conversations in the United States, where it's the same kind of thing where they act like they're being held accountable, but when you scratch beneath the surface, you find out that the very person who owns the company is the very person who is asking for that company to hold this. You know, to, it's it's a, it's a closed loop and it goes around and around. Exactly. And so if you don't know they're connected, it seems like they're checks and balances. But to your point here, it's it's just the illusion of accountability. It's everywhere. They're right. just saying like, hey, we recommend listening to our buddies at this other agency who yeah. we've all oh, and worked that's me. with for decades. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I used to work with them. We're friends. We have dinner with them regularly. Yeah, listen to them because they'll they'll have the right things to tell you. Yeah. So just another little thing to pay attention to. Another guy that I think is a little more consequential that's working with them is this guy named Sam Curry, 
who also coming from the cybersecurity sector, vis visiting fellow at the National Security Institute, which is connected to like George Mason University and just a whole bunch of like CIA spook territory, if you look into it, and apparently is also an advisor to a number of startups and scale ups. And I included that little detail just because it's important to know, yes, this guy that you've never heard of who works for an organization you've never heard of that's issuing reports you've never heard of, which is influencing law and the direction things are going is also advising startups and scale up. So that's how I believe, you know, that they continue to get their agendas into the next generation of coders and cybersecurity experts. Like, oh yeah, let's bring them into the fold. We advise them, we work with them and they mm -hmm. develop a trusted relationship and never suspect the agendas that they might be participating in. Um, and then Sam Reason, Sam Curry, excuse me, the, the biggest thing though is that he's the chief security officer of Cyber Reason right. and the president of Cyber Reason Government Incorporated. Uh, Whitney's done a lot of great reporting on this, and I've included some of this in my previous articles and in the Pyramid of Power and my look at the intelligence uh, sector. Cyber Reason also focused on selling cybersecurity solutions, antivirus, ransomware software. Uh, they work with artificial intelligence and cloud computing. And as Whitney has pointed out, when you look at their board of directors, Cyber Reason, Board of Directors and Employee List, it's filled with people who have worked with Israeli intelligence, including right. their CEO, who openly says that his work at Cyber Reason is a continuation of his service to Israel's intelligence. When they tell uh, you who they are, pay attention, guys, because they all... So, Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, so just think about that. This, like, Better Identity Coalition, Cybersecurity, Center for Cybersecurity Policy and Law, got a couple of guys that are connected to some government agencies that are already shady and then connected to Israeli intelligence, and, you know, and then one layer deeper, I looked up, well, who started the Center for Cybersecurity Policy and Law? Found out that it was established in 2017 as a nonprofit within this law firm called Venable LLP and mm -hmm. the, what they call their cybersecurity services group. So his law firm has a cybersecurity service group. They just started to start a, start a nonprofit. That nonprofit starts, decides to start the Better Identity Coalition. And that organization starts issuing reports. And then when you look at the law firm, uh, which has been around since 1900, founded by this man out of Baltimore. Now it's one of the largest law firms in the U.S., 10 offices across the U.S., 800 attorneys in all kinds of areas, including cybersecurity, data privacy, et cetera. And they openly you know, are proud of that their team is made up of former regulators, senior government staffers, state government, attor state attorney generals and members of Congress. And I look through it. I mean, it's just a list full of former senators, representatives, judges, lots of judges have worked with them and still work with them and democratic and Republican, both sides of the political aisle. And yeah. So, I mean, as I concluded here, when you look at this trail from better identity coalition center for cybersecurity policy and law and Venable LLP, you get cybersecurity, uh, intelligence spooks, national security, mm -hmm. state, U S and Israeli intelligence, banks, major corporations. These are the people behind this push towards digital identity. These are the people writing these reports and making these recommendations. I think this is just what we need to be, to be focused on is this is we, I feel like intrinsically know that, like you said earlier, people are like, get that away from me, but the masses are still going to swallow this technology up. I, I believe because mm -hmm. most people we've talked about this before. Most people, if you put something in front of them, like here's a new phone, they use it, you know, new, new hot thing on the market. You got to have this. It's the coolest thing. You got to use it. Right. People will jump at that technology. So whenever their favorite video games or movie theaters or, you know, entertainment convenience, et cetera, start saying you can use your phone now as a digital thing. You know, it's a, yeah. you can check out of the grocery store without even having to talk to a human. Cause we're going to use your face, scan it, and then automatically connect to your accounts and deduct the money as you walk out the store. Or we're going to scan your, you know, all these different fun, right. easy things. People are going to embrace it. 
but then once it becomes mandatory through banks and governments, I mean, people will have no choice. But right. I, I do think that it's important for us to dissect and to poke holes in this idea that we, the people, want this or are asking for this. Mm-hmm. Or, or what, if that's the case, right? I mean, cause, I mean, I, 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 I question whether or not it is ever, but today the, the majority. I agree with you. There's far too many people that will, you know, there's there's a a grouping of people. I don't I'd like to believe it's not a a large portion that will just go along with just literally anything else they say. It could be contradictory to what they said yesterday. And they're okay. here's the marching order for today. We know that exists. There's that's part of the population. I'd like to believe the majority today are people that are uncharacteristically pushing back on a lot of things because of what happened with covid Ukraine, all these different narratives that have been collapsing. So I just. From a, from a you know hopeful mo- uh, point, I'd like to believe that most people, when put to the choice, would be more skeptical today than usual. And maybe that's just me being hopeful. I do think we've had a lot of good gains throughout this process. But your point is correct that it's alarming that there would be far too many. I think, hopefully, not the majority that would, you know, sleepwalk into this control structure. You know, and that's what this is so important. You know, that's, that's why this is so important to show people that this is not necessary. And that's why I love the greater reset project that you guys, that you guys are working on because it's there's a lot of other ways that this could be done you know other directions that could be not this being the other ways that that we paths we could take to put it that way i'm not arguing that i i honestly am going in the opposite direction of technology in most ways today just because it's you know it's kind of the the counterbalance of where we are today it's like maybe it's a reaction but that's where i feel more, it makes more sense but Going forward, I think, you know, what do you think people should be doing right now from your perspective, speaking from a lot of the work you do alternative to this, that's, you know, like solutions directed and, and, you know, pushing back against the system. What can you, what actions can they take to fight this now? Like you said. Yeah, I appreciate that, brother. I mean, the first thing would be, and this is not just to promote my book, but because you can download it for free, but Mm -hmm. to download or pick up a copy of this book, How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State, you can download it for free at theconsciousresistance.com slash how to. And the reason I say that is I released this book in 2019 prior to COVID, anticipating digital identities, anticipating social credit scores and all these things that I've been already working on and reporting on before we learned about COVID and digital uh, passports, vaccine passports, immunity passports and all that. And we saw their game. So I was warning about it before then. And I've updated the book now with five new chapters of everything we've learned on COVID. And some of that we've talked about today, the climate lockdowns, the carbon credits, the social credit score, the next pandemic, whatever it is, these kinds of these, you know, uh, strategies that they're going to use. We've basically seen their cards now, as far as I can tell, they're going to use lockdowns. They could say it's a lockdown over climate. They could say it's a lockdown about a new pandemic. They could say there's space aliens outside if they want whatever they want to or war. The spy balloons are going to release the nuclear whatever. Just the point is, I think that they've shown that lockdowns will be a part of their strategy. They've shown that travel restrictions and limiting of freedom of movement will be part of their strategy. And part of the ways they do that, of course, is through the climate change stuff, propagandizing people to think it's bad and you should be shamed for driving or traveling. But then also through this digital infrastructure that we're talking about, once they get that 100% participation that they're fighting for, they will be able to coerce people into submission, as we've seen in China we've mm-hmm. and seen in Canada at the early stages. In China, we've already got examples, and in India, where activists trying to go protest, we saw this one last year, they got their, basically their cards turned off, right? And they weren't allowed to ride public transportation because you have to use that digital identity to get into everywhere, right? You have to go, if you want to get in a government building or you want to get your uh, paycheck or you want to go on any sort of uh, transportation or I think probably anything, you have to show that 
And again, they have facial recognition that can track people everywhere you go. So once you have that infrastructure put into place, resisting is nearly all but impossible, I would say. Mm -hmm. That's why where we're at right now is so important. We need to stop what's happening as much as possible. If you think you can stop that through politics, then try to do that. If you can do something on, I mean, I don't know if we can. I'm probably going to run for mayor of Houston this year to try to spread this message, not because I think I'm going to stop the technocracy, but because I feel like things are that crucial right now. We need to get as big a voice as possible and try to wake people up to this. But if you're already awake to this, then it's like, okay, well, what do I do? I know, Derek, I know about the digital identities and the fluoride in the water and the geoengineering. Then if you're past the point of just being concerned about it and you're ready to actually do something about it, you need to start making plans. And I can't tell you what those are, but take a sort of assessment at your life and look at how, how, in which ways are you plugged into the systems Mm -hmm. in ways that would, in terms of a digital identity, prevent you from being able to be free. So what I mean by that is if you are dependent on a 401k or a veterans check or a social security check, or you're getting direct deposit through a bank into a bank account, Try to see if there's ways to untangle those things. Would your job be willing to, de- you know, deposit or give you a cat, you know, cash in hand or write you a personal check or not even do a direct deposit? Just you have to physically mm-hmm. go get the check. Right. Because that seems like a little better option than just giving it straight to the bank if right. things go wrong. Um, and how many bills do you have that are automatically connected to the bank account at the moment that would have to be untangled to let go of that system so that you can make sure you're not going to get caught in it? These are things we need to start thinking about now. That could take months depending on where you're at. Um, but if you're not willing to start having those real, tangible, practical conversations with yourself, your family, your friends and community, then I'm afraid you probably won't make it through this. If you're not willing to make real hard changes, I wish there was some something, at least in my perspective, I could say, here's the one thing that's going to fix it. But the mm-hmm. only thing I think that's going to fix it is for us to stay free from it so that we can make sure whatever their vision is and however far they get with their plans, that we are not subsumed to it, that we can continue to live free. We can continue to trade, trade, you know, exchange money with each other or buy and sell food and goods with each other. You know, that's the other thing is if they say you can't get back into the grocery stores that most of us are dependent on without that vaccine passport, AKA digital identity, then what do you do in that case? This is another reason why thinking about your food and, and how you get your food. And do you have any relationships with local farmers or local farmers markets or community supported agriculture, all these kinds of ideas. Right. That's where my focus is and is going to continue to be and getting myself and my family and my loved ones at least prepared for that. I am fully of the mindset and this might not be correct in the end. We'll see um, that the lives that people were living prior to COVID, whatever that looked like, that assuming we can just go back to normal is a mistake. Yeah. Assuming that, you know, we haven't reached some new threshold. Now that things have calmed down, I think a lot of people have gone back and gone, you know, people came to Mexico, they came else from Canada and Australia. Many of those people went back now because things have calmed down and they think the fight's over. I think mm-hmm. that is a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake to assume that this is done by any means. And instead of just you know, if you want to go home to wherever home is, then hopefully you're back there preparing to grow food. Hopefully you're back there making some plans to get out of the banking system and thinking about what concrete steps you're going to take if and when your job, your uh, government, et cetera, says you can't come here or work here or get paid or get food without this digital identity. Do you have any alternative infrastructure in place? Uh, use the Freedom Cell Network, freedomcells.org right. to find people near you to try to start building these groups. I mean, that's where my focus is because I will continue to report on this as a journalist, but I don't know that we can stop these things from rolling out. Mm-hmm. Sa- and, 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 and thank you for your candor. I, I, I sadly agree. And I, it doesn't mean it's impossible, but I, we need to realize that this is not just COVID-19 
and its execution. This is a grand picture that's been, you know, you, I mean, it's not that they had exact outlines for what we're dealing with today, but we know this goes back even maybe prior to 9-11, the, bio, the security state to the biosecurity state. There's a plan here that's been executed and they've evolved and things have changed over the years. But you're right that there's something that's happening now that is clearly much larger than we've ever even imagined, like multiple countries, multiple governments, if that's even what's happening, all in lockstep, achieving the same thing. So, you know, we just got to take the actions we can now. And I, and I agree with you. Make those connections now. Find the person, the peer-to-peer economies, peer, you know, person-to-person. Find the people around you, the person that has chickens and eggs and the people that have cattle and, you know, the person that can fix a, a, you know, set a broken leg. And, you know, find this community yourself. That's what we have to be doing. That's why I love your work so much on the conscious resistance because it's, it's, it's f- focused on that, I feel. And actually, I forgot. Um, I don't have the link in front of me, but make sure and send me the link to your, your community. I already shouted it out before, but I'll include it today. It's in the private chat. It's in the private oh, chat. Oh, you already did. Okay, good, good. Yeah, if you want to pop oh, that up real quick, maybe go. I can end mm-hmm. with that and just mention yeah. that because I appreciate that, brother. Yeah, I mean, so I'll just say to anybody who hasn't seen this, one of the ways that I've been preparing and doing everything I just shared with you, I don't just write books and talk about it. Like I'm actually trying to live these ideas. I don't use banks. Um, I get paid through my writing and, uh, and crypto. And you know, I try to avoid these systems as much as possible. Um, and I also believe that the key to the, what we're facing is getting land, whether that's where you live or whatever region you're in, getting land, working with other people, like-minded people, and trying to create spaces that we can hold and call our own and protect in the future. If their vision is you'll own nothing and be happy, then I think we should probably have something to call our own, you know, as a community, yeah. as families, as individuals. And so I've found uh, this beautiful piece of land here in Mexico. Uh, it's up in the mountains. And it. I've been working with this group of people, including my partner, Miriam, and about seven of us for the last two and a half years. And I'm going to be doing more talking about this in the future. I know a lot of people are interested in community. It's not easy. Like It's just as easy yeah. as, all right, well, I found some people at the local freedom event. Now we're all going to buy land. Maybe you get that lucky. But we yeah. spent two and a half years getting to know each other, talking right. about how are we going to make decisions as a group? You know, we, ha- we each are going to have our own plot, our own house, but we're going to also have some shared spaces that we take advantage of and we all get to benefit from. Well, how do we make decisions when it affects all of us? And what do we do if there's conflict? And all these things that really take a lot of time and energy. We spent two and a half years now working on it. And there's some of the people in our group, myself, Miriam, Ethan, and Jess, and there's a few others that are uh, not pictured there. And basically, during the Greater Reset, we launched this crowdfunding campaign. We've already identified the property. We know how much it costs. We've got a good amount of the money, and we're working on some other crowdfunding um, areas. But I wanted to just put it forward to the community and ask anybody who wants to help us make this project a reality to contribute. And this isn't just me saying, hey, help me get this piece of land for my own benefit. The vision, the larger vision of this community, which we're calling the Conscious Agora, is we're going to have a little village where those of us living there will have our homes and a food forest. And we're working with Jim Gale from Food Forest Abundance and a lot of other really great people to make this happen. But also we want to create what we're calling this holistic education center where we can invite people down to come teach permaculture skills, to teach uh, self-defense, to teach community organizing, maybe journalism, you know, Give us a place where we can kind of have it like a freedom boot camp almost, where we can host events and bring people out. But more importantly, everything that we do and that we've done over the last two and a half years, I plan to release this as a video series or as a PDF, an ebook, something like that to say, this is everything we did. These are the steps we took. These are the decision-making agreements we went with. This is the books we were, you know, just totally put this out for free Mm -hmm. because I want this to be a model. I mean, our community, the Conscious Agora is built around three basic principles, individual liberty, you know, recognition that every person owns themselves and they're free to do what they want as long as they're not harming anybody else. That's like the cornerstone, the foundational 
principle of our community. And then in addition to that permaculture, using permaculture principles and the way that we grow our food, the way we interact with animals and the land. And it just really, it, if the whole world used permaculture, then we wouldn't be on monocropping and pesticides and we'd be coming up with more creative ways to build our food systems. Right. And so individual liberty, permaculture, and then our third foundational principle is just this idea of mindfulness that we want to work with other people who are trying to continue to grow as people. There's not like a must meditate this many hours a week or must pray this many times a week or anything like that. It's just generally saying we want to work with emotionally intelligent people who want to keep growing and try to build a better world. And so, yes, we're going to start this Conscious Agora project in Mexico. But the vision is that we can start networking with other people like yourself, Ryan, and, and others who are trying to get land and say, hey, we're we're a bunch of communities that are in different parts of the world united by similar values and similar principles. And here's how we did it. And here's how you can do it. You know, the idea is right. not come move to Mexico or move to Texas or to Tennessee or wherever but do it where you're at. Take these ideas and start doing it. And, yeah. and very much that article I wrote there, Welcome to 2030, I Own Land to Live Amongst Like-Minded People and Life Has Never Been Better, is the vision. This is like what – that's what I'm saying. I'm working night and day. I'm trying to put information out as an author and as a journalist. But more importantly, I'm living these ideas. And for me, the ultimate way to live it is to get land, grow my own food, and show people that this is possible. So if Absolutely. anybody wants to contribute, the link there, it's fundraiser, F-U-N-D-R-A-Z-R.com slash Conscious Agora. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes, guys. I appreciate mm -hmm. it. Um, anybody who wants to contribute to that, it is always very much welcome and um, and support supported. So feel free to reach out to me if you have questions or thoughts about that. Thanks for letting me share about that, brother. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this this is this is paramount. This is what everybody, whether it's an entire you know, community, or just, as you said, you built, you know, stocking things in your garage. It's everything we all, this is what we need to be doing. And I think the early part of COVID-19 show people that it was always smart to do that. Always, whether we're in a situation or not, you should be prepared. You should understand how to do things in certain situations. You should have stock, water, and food, and so on. You know, it's it's just so incredibly important. So, thank you for doing this, and I do think that this, people should support something like this. I want I want to leave with um, there. Oh, oh, interestingly enough, two points I want to say before I end with this clip that we I wanted to talk about. That I'm sure you've seen is that we're in this situation right now where obviously this is building, and it's obviously getting worse and more intense, and it's it's getting to a point to where we already see things like this. Peace activists convicted of criticizing German war policy in Ukraine. And if you read this, it's actually mind blowing. This person is going to either have to have, and then, you know, dog food too, right? That's important. Here's my pup. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the point being, this guy basically just said that he uh, understands why Russia did what it did. Not even saying he agrees with it. And Germany had literally tried to put him in prison and said $2,000 or, you know, some, some certain period of time in jail. And this is just for disagreeing with the government sentiment. We have examples of Germany, I believe right now, charging people, I think it was Germany, a fine for burning wood as opposed, you know, we have gas stove conversations. I mean, this is getting absolutely alarming to the, even the average person. They're going like, this is what I was saying before. Something's amiss right now. We all feel it. Something's wrong. And so all it takes is this next step to kind of trap you in this digital part of it where you can't just push back like you're la you're trapped. You're locked into the system as you were describing. And we we need to do this stuff before we get to that point. That's what I, that's this pressure I feel right now about things you're building, things that I'm doing around the, you know, the sides we've talked about in the past. It needs to happen now because we'll wake up one day and it will be far too late. And I think it's just that, you know, I don't I'm trying to scare anybody because I do believe that the the positive edge of this which always has to come along with this is that the only reason mm -hmm. it's happening so alarmingly is because people are waking up because yeah. people like you are doing such good work and showing people what's happening that now they're 
they're pushing the time scale. That's what I think anyway. But I'd like yeah, to leave Oh, go ahead. You have a comment. I'll just, I'll just say I agree with that, brother. And just a note, to final note from me, just thank you again for having me. And to anybody out there, as Ryan was saying, good things are happening, but they're not just going to be handed to you. They're not just right. going to walk up and hit you in the face. you got to step up to the plate and take action. Then you'll notice, oh, my God, there's other people doing things. I'm not alone doing this. But if you just sit home, black-pilled, and just consuming the content, consuming it as infotainment, conspiratainment, and not doing anything, right. then you probably will feel hopeless. So despite everything we've shared today, I do feel like there is hope. Absolutely. That's, that's the focal point, right? Is that there we have, I, I honestly don't even ever think there's been a better opportunity to change people's minds, the world, everything. And so I think that's where we have to remember what we have to focus on going forward. You know, don't lose that hope, but I want to leave with a clip here that just kind of is the same point. Somebody on the inside, you know, saying the quiet part out loud about how, you know, we, the, the, the CBDCs, this whole direction, it's all it really adds is more control. And we, you know, we don't need them. So thank you for being here today, Derek. I always enjoy talking with you, man. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be more work coming for T-Lab and the Conscious Resistance. So check that out. And as always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Be skeptical. I keep asking anybody, anybody at the Fed or outside of the Fed to explain to me what problem this is solving. I can send anybody in this room $5 with Venmo right now. <laughs> Right? No, seriously. So what is it that a CBDC could do that Venmo can't do? And all I get is a bunch of hand-waving. I get a bunch, well, maybe it's better for financial inclusion. Maybe it's better for cross-border remittances. Maybe. Is there any evidence that it is? And you know, they say, well, what about China? China's doing it. Well, I can see why China would do it. If they want to monitor every one of your transactions, you could do that with the central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. If you want to impose negative interest rates, you could do that with the central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. And if you want to directly tax customer accounts, you could do that with the central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. So I get why China would be interested. Why would the American people be for that? 